And good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to be worshiping with you this morning. If you, um, if you have your Bible, you can open it to Mark chapter 4. We're going to continue just walking through the gospel of Mark. And um, as, we, as we get into it this morning, I'm going to tell you about, uh, so Laura and I, we've been here for eight years now, uh, living on the correct end of the state of California, the right pocket of it. Uh, we were down in Southern California before, and Southern California is lovely if you like perfect weather all the time, but who, who does, you know? So we, uh, we, so we were down there, and it was, um, it was 2010. Um, we, like everything, the, the housing market, everything had just crashed, and it was like um, they were like giving away houses pretty much. And so we took the little money we had, and we borrowed from everyone that we could borrow from, and we got a down payment. We got a nice little fixer-upper house in 2010. And that just increased in value incredibly over the next five years. So when we moved up here, we bought ourselves a brand new house, which was super exciting. If you've gone from a fixer-upper where you, like, you end up with, like, all your dad's old tools that he doesn't want anymore, and every, you're just doing all the work on your house yourself, uh, come up to a brand new house, it's like, wow, there's no work to do at all. And if something does break, they'll fix it for you, at least until, like, literally the week that things start falling apart. Then that's when the warranty ends. But the downside, so this is, I just want to say first world problems, I don't expect you to feel bad for me, but the downside of moving into like a brand new build, um, which, which some of you have done, is um, there's no trees. Like there's just literally no trees. They, they, there's like little saplings, you know what I'm saying, that are there, like a, a promise of a future tree. But it's like, it, which is fine. We moved in in December. It's like, cool, that's cute. That'll be nice someday. But then you hit the summer in Sacramento and you're like, what are we doing? Where's the shade? Like, wh- come on, trees. Like, this is ridiculous. So I definitely overwatered my trees just in hopes of, like, maybe next year this thing will be bigger. But here we are, eight years later, and uh, I can honestly say I look around, I'm like, hey, we're one of those neighborhoods that has trees now, you know? And uh, it's there, there's shade, I have to clean out my gutters. Like, it's just, it's the first time that this has happened for us. And, um, and so that picture of, like, I don't, like, I didn't pay attention to the trees growing. They just all of a sudden are there and big. That's literally the picture that Jesus gives us this morning is of, um, of, a, of a plant growing and, and getting bigger when, when, when we're not aware of it, when we're not watching for it, and then seeing the blessing of it that's there. So Jesus uses that imagery to invite us to kind of think about um, a specific area of growth, and that's the growth of his kingdom. It's the growth of spiritual life within us and around us, um, and it's a really beautiful passage. Last week, we watched as Jesus... And he gave the parable of the, um, the sower. And he's talking about himself as kind of sowing the seed, throwing it out there and just watching as the, the truth of his kingdom is, is spread around, watching there's, there's some people on whom that, that, uh, that seed falls and they're kind of like the, the um, hard, pathy soil and it just doesn't sink down in. There's others that are, that are more the rocky soil and it, it kind of gets in there, but not really. And then there's the thorny soil. Then there's some that are the good soil and that seed comes and it, it sinks down in, and it grows into something beautiful. Jesus is going to continue on that theme and what we're looking at. So let's dive right in, um, and we're going to see some realities about the kingdom of God on this morning. So the first little bit here, uh, so let's start in verse 21 and 22. He says, it says, He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. 
So Jesus asked the question, okay, what's, what's the point of a light um, if you're just going to put it in a, in a, in a dark place, like put it, a basket over it so it's not giving light to anything? This is, this is like literally my dad, my entire growing up years, that would walk from room to room and be turning off the lights. and like, why are you guys turning on lights in rooms where there's no one there to appreciate the light? He's just saying, if you're going to turn on the light, if there's going to be a, a lamp, you've gotta, uh, there's got to be a purpose for it. The purpose of light is to be seen. And so Jesus uses this picture of a, a lamp, under a basket um, or under a bed or something like that, which I do not recommend uh, with an open flame like this. Just I, There's a few kids in here and just feel like as the dad in me needs to say that clearly. So, um, so Jesus uses this illustration elsewhere, actually this exact same image of a, of a light under a basket um, in the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew 5, you can read it. He uses the same illustration, but he uses it a little differently there. There he's saying that we are the light of the world. So he is the light of the world. He's saying, you're the light of the world, so don't put your light under a, a basket. Uh, let it shine so everyone can see the life that's, that's within you. That's a beautiful um, use of this image. Here, Jesus is using it a little bit differently. And here he's talking about the light, I think, represents the, the mystery of God's kingdom, the truth that, that God is working in the world, the truth that Jesus has come to be with us and to set us free and to give us life, and he's working in the world. And so that truth, he's saying, um, in, in the parable of the sower, he was saying it like that seed goes out, but only some people are really hearing it. Only some people really connect to this truth of uh, the kingdom of God and what's happening with it. And he's saying it's kind of a mysterious thing where I'm saying it in a parable so that some people can hear it and not really understand. They can, they can uh, hear and not understand. They can see and not perceive. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, um, I'm saying it like this so that it'll stay hidden from a certain kind of a person, um, which I think is pretty messed up. That's like my default towards it is like, Jesus, like you want it to be made known. There he was getting into um, our reaction to it. Here, I think he's saying, well, yeah, that's the whole point of the truth is that it is like this candle. It is like this light that shines. And the whole point is like, yeah, now it's a little bit clouded. Now it's going to be hidden from some people. But eventually the point of this is everything that's secret is going to be made known. Everything that's hidden, like there's going to come a time where we're going to have that realization of like, oh, okay, that's how it all fits together. That's how it works. I think he's inviting us to see there is this realization. There is this truth. Right now it's a little hidden, but don't worry. The purpose of the light is to come, and, and he's going to invite us, I think, to ponder that truth and to go deeper with it ourselves. I think the vital question, then, that we have to start with is this. Do, do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Like, that's the real question we have to res wrestle with. When Jesus comes and he begins to tell us about himself, do we believe that he is who he says he is? That's the core of it all. Keep in mind, the disciples at this point don't know much about Jesus. They haven't seen that much. He hasn't taught that much. There's not a ton that they know. So it's not like these are theology experts. And he's asking them to really like take a theology test to make sure it's all right. It's saying Jesus came and he began saying, hey, I've got this kingdom. I want you to follow after me. I want you to do what I'm doing. And he's saying, are you responding to that? So do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do we believe that there's this kingdom around Jesus where if we do things the way that he's inviting us to do them, that we're going to start experiencing life and joy? joy and hope in the midst of this broken down world around us? Like, do we really believe that that exists and that's true? Do we, do we believe that he invites us to experience life in the way that he offers us rather than all the bankrupt ways that we seek life all, all around us these ways? So that's, I think, the core is do we believe that it's there? If we believe it's there, even if that's a little bit hidden, right? Even if we're only experiencing pieces of it or only catching glimpses of it, if we believe it's there, then there's something to be pursued and sought after. And I think that's what he calls us to do in these next verses here. Verse 24. Um, oh, sorry, verse 23 even. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is saying, look, if, if, 
If you, if you can't hear what I'm saying, then just go about your day. But if you can hear, if you have ears that are, that are actually paying attention, hearing what I'm saying, then hear, listen. Verse 24, he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. So with the measure you use, like pay, pay attention to what you're hearing. Don't, don't just let it passively hit your ears. I think too often that's how we are with church life. It's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yep, another sermon, another, another reading of the gospel, uh, some more songs that have deep truth about God, and then we just let it wash over us and we move about our day. He's saying, pay attention to what you're hearing. Because he says, with the measure that you use, it's going to be measured back to you. It's, it's like saying you're going to get out of this what you put into it. If you're willing to invest yourself in the whole thing, you're going to get big results back. Uh, my girls, they, they both are basketball players. They're 12 and 14. They're like absolute ballers, like following in the tradition of their dad. And um, they, like, it's, it really is sad they never got to see me play, but I am um, just reliving my glory days and watching them play. But what's cool about it is I don't, I don't force them uh, to, like, practice. Like, I invite them to and whatever. But the best is they, they will go, they'll do their practices, and then they'll come home sometimes, and they'll, like, take extra shots. And they'll, they'll work on a little training routine, and they'll do it. And then I'll see them, their shot improves, and then they go into a game, and they're shooting better. And I love sitting them down and saying, girls, do you see, like, you put in the extra work to do this, and you're seeing the result of what came out of it. When you put something in, you get something out. That's how it works in basketball. It's how it works in a lot of things in life. We shouldn't be surprised that that's also how it works in our spiritual selves. And it's funny to me, like, if I kind of step back and think of how I do things in my life, like, there's areas of immaturity in my life. There's spaces where I'm apathetic and I'm spiritually lazy. And then I'm surprised that, like, I'm spiritually shallow in an area, right? Or I'm still kind of immature or raw in this or that area. It's like, oh, why, why am I surprised? I haven't literally put no time into this. Why would I expect to be um, seeing d- depth in my life in this area? Um, I think Jesus is saying if you stay on the surface, then you're going to be a surfacey kind of a person. If you want to go deeper on a thing, then you'll become a deeper kind of a person. So he's inviting us, I think. Don't be surprised. Use, if you're going to pour yourself into this, use the biggest measure you can. Pour yourself all the way in because if that kingdom is real and it matters, if there's spiritual life to be found in the words and the works and the ways of Jesus, if we can find life there, then pour yourself in as much as you can, and you're going to get so much back out of it in terms of your own growth. I think it's a beautiful reminder. Now, what does it mean to, like, pour ourselves into it? I think the, the beauty for you as Creekside Church is we just had a, a sermon series over the summer while I was on sabbatical where Nathan and the elders were guiding you through these spiritual disciplines and walking through things like prayer and reading your Bible and reflection, meditation, those kinds of things that are so simple, right? So small, so easy in many ways, right? But, um, but those are the paths. If you pour yourselves into those things, you're going to find this payoff. That's exactly what Jesus says in verse 25. Um, so he says there, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Laura, my wife Laura is a teacher, and she uh, will tell her students, right, they'll, they'll kind of slack off. They're, they're second graders, so they're like, I don't know, they're coloring outside the lines or something. And, um, and uh, she'll, she'll be like, you, you, need to, uh, you guys, we need to get our work a little neater here. We need to work a little harder on this. And the problem with that is the kids that are the messy ones, the kids that are the behavior problems, the kids that are lazy, 
they do not listen to the teacher anyways, right? So when her saying, you got to work a little harder on this, it doesn't have any effect on those kids. Um, the kids that it matters to are the kids that are already probably working too hard. You know what I'm saying? Like they're stressed out about what college they're going to get into in second grade. And, uh, and so they're like, okay, okay, yeah, we'll work harder, right? So um, there's a side of this where, um, again, I think it comes back to you get what you, you get out of it, what you put in. Uh, Jesus is inviting us and saying, look, it, it the one who has, if he's investing, then he's going to get even more. But the one that doesn't have, like, even, even what he has, he's going to lose. And he's inviting us to look at the kingdom. Now, I have to say this. There's so much grace in the kingdom of God. And we're going to see that in the next parable that Jesus gives here. So much grace. Like, it has nothing to do with what we earn. It has nothing to do with um, how hard we try. It has nothing to do with, like, um, us being good enough. Like, so we, we have to balance this very carefully and see, okay, the grace of God is a gift. It comes to us, it, Romans 5, 8, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So him, his biggest act of giving himself to us happened when we were doing nothing for him and everything against him. We have to always remember that. Um, but there's this reminder that if we want to follow him, if we want to f- experience more and more and more of that life, if we want to find ourselves growing to be more like Jesus, invest yourself. Put yourself into it. It, d- it doesn't come through apathy or casualness. Um, there's this invitation for us to go deeper in the whole thing. So Jesus gives this little picture of the light hidden um, under a lampstand to kind of invite people like, hey, don't lose what you've got. In fact, invest yourself and gain more. And he's saying this, we have to remember, he's always saying this, not to the people that are on the outside, not to the, like, the, the, the spiritually, like, just the people that are like, I'm a mess, and I don't know, there's the, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes um, that Jesus would spend time with, and he would be with those people, and he would care for those people. But he's not saying this kind of a thing to them, like, hey, make sure you measure more of yourself into this. He's actually looking here to uh, followers and disciples. He's talking to the Jewish nation of people that believed that they were in. They were part of the kingdom. The Jewish nation at the time were the kingdom of God. And Jesus keeps coming to these people and says, yeah, you are, but like I'm scattering seed and some of you are are soil that's not receptive to what it is that I'm saying to you. He's saying to people that think they're already in, like, hey, make sure that you're putting yourself into this because otherwise you're not going to get anything out of it. And so he's calling us to, I think it's a good word for us in a church setting, those of us who are here because we belong, because we like church life, because we like um, uh, following the path of Jesus, let's remember that just because we're here, just because we do some of the church things, it doesn't mean that the word of God is really taking root. So let's open ourselves up and say, anything I can do to make the soil of my heart better and more receptive for what God is trying to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to open myself up and I'm going to watch what grows. So as it grows, we're going to see a couple things. Jesus gives us two parables here. The first starts in verse 26. And he says this, uh, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So this, to me, as a relatively lazy person in some aspects of my life, is good news. You know what I'm saying? You throw the seed out, and then it just grows. You know, you go to bed, you get back up. I'm like, that sounds good, you know? And meanwhile, the seed just grows. So I love that Jesus throws this picture in here. What I think he's saying is, 
there's not a formula for the kingdom of God, okay? Like we, many of us want that like 10 steps to, um, to the greater kingdom of God, right? Or 10 step, steps to personal growth and we want to plan it, we want to formula it. If, we, if I do it this way, I'm going to see what comes of it. And he's just saying like, no, your job really is to just to patiently, expectantly watch. What is God going to do um, while you're sleeping? What is God going to do while, you're, while you, you don't know how this works? So let's just watch and see what happens. We can't, ever make the seeds grow. Uh, seeds grow as they grow. Um, we don't get to monitor their process. Even the first part of the plant life is going down and spreading out. That doesn't even happen above the ground, but there's real growth happening. It shouldn't surprise us. The, the Spirit of God throughout the whole Bible, the Spirit of God is really mysterious. Okay, we, well, I've read books on the Holy Spirit, explain the Holy Spirit, but they can't, you know, because the Spirit of God is mysterious. Jesus says, the Spirit's like the wind, you know? The wind, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where, where, where the wind is going, and so it is with the Spirit. You don't know where he's coming from, where he's going, what he's doing, but, but you can feel the, the, the effects of him working. Um, and so if the Spirit of God is mysterious— then spiritual growth, spiritual life, it should also be mysterious. shouldn't be a surprise. And yet we still have this urge towards formalizing and, and, and multi-step processes. Um, I, I, um, I listened to, I, th I think it was Russell Moore, but I could be wrong, and some of you can um, correct me if you would like to. Um, but he was talking about, I, I listened to this interview he was doing, and he was talking about how uh, pastors, like churches will experience like a revival and there's like spiritual life. And so we're like, we're doing our thing. It's kind of mundane. And then all of a sudden there's just like this breaking in of God's spirit and we start coming alive a little bit more and we start investing more and there's, there's numerical growth and there's growth in, in depth and all these kinds of beautiful things. And he says, a church will go through that. And then the pastor will sit down. He'll get inevitably an offer to write a book and he will write the book explaining this is what happened. This is how it happened. This is how you yourself can experience it as well. And Russell Moore or whoever it was, was basically saying, you start reading these books and you're excited because you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to see like what happened. And you're really encouraged to hear what happened. You know, it's like, oh, wow, the Spirit was uh, bringing people to the faith and, and children that had walked away are coming back and there's healing and there's all these cool things. So he's like, it starts really exciting. And then they get into explaining how it happened. And you begin to realize, oh my goodness, they have no idea how it happened. You know what I'm saying? They're trying to explain it to you, be like, they don't know how it happened. It just happened, you know? And then when they get into telling you how you yourself too can follow this and experience church growth and whatever, he says, they realize like they can't explain it to you because they don't know how it happened for themselves. And um, I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying here is, if we try to overformulize it and we try to say, this is how spiritual growth happens. This is step one, step two, step three. We run into a space where we leave no room for mystery. And the Spirit of God is mysterious, and the growth in the kingdom is mysterious. And so Jesus just says, look, it's, it's like a guy that's throwing seed around. He sleeps, and he wakes up, but night and day, the seed is growing, but he doesn't know how it's happening. Um, the earth, he says, produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. To me, this is an invitation for us to in those moments where we're not seeing a lot of spiritual growth around us. So let's just say, like, as long as I've been interested in, in pastoring at all, um, I've read article after article after article about how the church is declining. And people are not interested in church anymore. People don't want to be around church. People don't want faith. And so I've read article for years and years and years of like, man, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. Guys, it's getting worse. And it's just like, nobody cares about church anymore. Um, I would say on a personal spiritual level, right, we have those seasons that we go through where it's like, man, there's no, there's like a spiritual deadness and I, I want to be alive and I pray for it, but I'm, I can't like get myself there to like feeling the investment in, in the things of God like I want to. And so we see these like, 
um, declines and these, these periods of like no growth, no life, and it gets really discouraging for us. But I think Jesus' parable is speaking to that kind of discouragement we feel when things are heavy and when we feel dead and dry, and we look at the, the landscape around us, and we're like, nobody's interested in this anymore. Jesus comes in and says, hey, just so you know, the kingdom is like this seed, and it's, it's growing even when you can't see it. And you don't know where it's going to come up. You don't know where the life's going to happen, but it's there, and it works, and it really has nothing to do with you. You don't understand it, and the, the earth brings it up by, its, by itself. I think Jesus is saying there's life all around you, even when you have no idea that it's there. That's a good reminder that we need. I think if we look uh, on a personal scale and see like in our own lives the things that are um that are dry and, and that need work um think of the think of the struggles in your own life like maybe it's your doubts maybe it's uh, actual sin issue that you're wrestling with and, like god changes god changes god changes god changes and you're asking over and over again and you get to the spot of just like i don't know i'm ready to give up jesus comes in and he tells this parable and he says look seeds are being sown you can't see what's happening beneath the surface, but it's coming and it's rooting and it's growing and it's happening in a way that you don't understand and you don't need to understand. You guys gave me the, the gift uh, over the summer of going on a sabbatical and um, I'm still just wringing all my sermon illustrations out of that that I can. So um, we'll reach a point where I don't talk about it anymore, but then I'll be ready for another sabbatical. Um, <laughs> Just, just giving you guys a heads up. So, um, but, but what, one of the things I was really excited to do on sabbatical was I had so much time, and so I wanted to like read a bunch of books. And the way that I am like wired to read books is, I do enjoy the reading itself, but I also really like having read a book. You know what I'm saying? Like if you can have that book on your shelf, and you can like the book can come up in casual conversation. You're like, oh yes, I've read that book. You know, like that's kind of like I'm interested in that. Okay, I'm just being honest. I'm interested in that. Um, and so when I started sabbatical, I had this stack of books that I wanted to read, and I, I was careful. I was trying not to do the, like, braggy books, but, like, um, but like I wanted to get through that stack. You know what I'm saying? One of the best things that God did is, um, is someone gave me a book of poems, uh, like, right before. And I was like, you know what? It'd probably be good for me to read some poems, too. So I took that with me, and I started reading. And I, I'll tell you, my first day of sabbatical, I read through, like, four or five pretty quick. I was going to, like, knock that book out fast. And then I'm like, hang on, hang on. I know better than this. Poems are not meant to be read quickly. They're not made to be get, gotten through and moved on to the next one. Poems are meant to be absorbed and pondered and reread. And so I slowed myself down. And I began to read a poem and then sit there and sort of talk to the Lord about it. Then I read the poem again and I'd see more in it and I'd sit there. And I started, I, it helped me to read slowly. Now, the beautiful thing is, a sabbatical had so much time that I could read slowly and also still read a lot. So I'm happy to say the stack of books, most of it was gotten through, and so I feel very accomplished. But um, the, the, the deepening that comes, like when you approach a, a book, for example, and let yourself sit with it, and you're not impatient, but you can just sort of sit there and take it in, um, there's this depth, this deepening that happens when we let something happen to us. C.S. Lewis, uh, you, you probably know as the... Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and he does all this stuff. He also was a, like, he was a legit uh, English professor and, like, literary criticism kind of a guy. You can tell because he would sit around and smoke a pipe, so you're like, I know that guy's thinking some deep thoughts. And, uh, and so he, he, like, wrote actual works of, like, literary criticism. So one of the things he does is he talks about the value of reading fiction. So many of us are, are a little dismissive of things that are fiction, untrue, fairy tales, but C.S. Lewis took that stuff really seriously. And here's, here's a, a quote from him talking about why we read fiction. He says, we read it because we seek an enlargement of our being. 
We want to be more than ourselves. Each of us by nature sees the whole world from one point of view with a perspective that is selectively uh, peculiar to himself. But he says that when we sit down and we read fiction, we're reading things that are untrue from these different people, he says, we, we get to see with other eyes, to imagine with other imaginations, to feel with other hearts, as well as with our own. I love the fact that he says that because he's saying, when you sit down to read, even if it's something that's fictional, you're doing it because it's going to broaden your perspective. I, I get to hear not just what I think or what makes sense to me, but here's what makes sense to this person. Here's how this person sees the world or frames it, even if it's in a fictional world that they're creating. He, I, I love the way he says it's an expansion of our being. We're, we're broadening who we are. We're, we're putting down roots deeper. And man, if that's true with fiction, and I really believe it is, how much more true is it with our spiritual lives, right? With our, with our study of the Word of God, when we read it, we could read it to get through. You could do your Bible in a year plan, which I've never had the, um, I don't know, it stresses me out to even think of it. But many of you do it and do it well. But, but when we sit down to read, are we reading to get it through? Or are we saying, okay, let, let this do something to me. Let me. When I sit down to read the Bible, Lord, would you speak to me? Would you deepen who I am? And, and look, we may not always perceive it happening because it happens slowly. But if we put ourselves in that seat and we say, okay, I'm just going to sit here for a while and I'm going to take the time day after day to just kind of sit in this space, let God speak to me, to, to, to pray and let the Lord know how I'm feeling, listen for what he might be saying. When we do that, we find this slow growth that kind of deepens who we are. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. I could, we could teach you uh, theology pretty quickly. Like we could get you through courses and get you a degree um, pretty quickly and you could know a lot of theology fast. But I don't think that spiritual depth happens fast. It takes time and it takes sitting and it takes watching, waiting. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. There's a deepening, there's a growth in the kingdom that we, we don't get now. We don't get instantly. It happens while we're not really paying attention. Um, but it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I think so often we're, we want to see revival. We want to see God do something big. And I, I'll be, to be honest, I want that too. Like I would, love, I, I would love for them to like start a song and then all you guys are all just like hopping around and like flip-flopping and be like, man, this is awesome. God's at work, you know. Um, but I also like your guys' chill vibes too. It's fine. Um, <clears throat> but I, we, we, did a, we did a worship uh, sermon series a, a couple years ago. And part of it was we did feel like things were a little apathetic and we're all just kind of just chill and, and whatever. And that's fine. But we were like, you know, I think there's a bigger connection that we could see happening. And so Jaleesa and I were talking about, let's do a, a, a sermon series on worship so that we kind of understand it a little better and get our, our hearts into this like intentional investment in a little more deeply. And so we planned it out for the fall a couple years ago. And um, you guys started getting sick. You guys were obviously not being careful, so you're all getting COVID and weren't showing up at church. And so it's like, um, okay, you know what? If, if we're going to like teach and talk through worship, we need more people there so that it's more energetic in the room. So let's wait. So we put it off till uh, January. And when January came, the joke was on us because you guys really got COVID then. And, uh, and there was like nobody here. So it was like, if, if you guys were around, you remember, it was like, um, it was numerically, the thing we, we had not, we strategized against. Like, we, no, we gotta have enough people. But man, when we did, we just went through for it. Smaller groups of people. It was the most power. it was so, like, even just thinking back on it, I'm like, man, God was so good. He was working, and it was, it was, um, it was very Creekside. It wasn't over the top, but it was like, we all sensed, like, 
the Spirit of God is moving. And there was this invitation and there was a freedom. Like I, I think many of us, like we were raising hands for the first times in our lives. And that's a big step for some of us, let's be honest. And, and there was this like connection with the Lord that was just so gracious. And it was cool because it was happening in the room. It was happening. I was getting calls from people that were watching the live stream of it. Like, oh my gosh, what God did in this whole thing. And um, it, it, people that were watching, it was just like, it was, it was amazing. And so what I'm here to tell you is, it wasn't because we strategized it well. And, and we could never have guessed, like, okay, here's what I want the movement of the Spirit in this case to look like. It was just God did what he did. And we were, we were ready for it. We were expecting it. We were excited about it. Um, but when he shows up and where he shows up and how he shows up, we can't predict it. And I'm telling you, if it's a movement of the Spirit that we can predict, um, then it's, it's, it's fake. It's phony. It's lame. It's not going to last. It's, it's fleeting. What God does when he really does it is deep and it's profound and it's beautiful. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm rambling. But we've got more parable to go through. So let's go to the last parable here as we kind of uh, wind this down. He gives a, a similar parable, but a little bit differently uh, to show how the kingdom works. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So he's saying the, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Now, I just think about it. Like, if he's trying to tell us what the kingdom of God is, right, wouldn't you want him to be like, the kingdom of God is like an army, you know? Or like, the kingdom of God is like a kingdom. I don't know, you know? Like, something big. But he's like, no, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is, he says, the smallest of seeds. And not just that, like not just this tiny little seed, but the kingdom of God is like tiny seed that you take and you bury it in the ground so that you can't see it at all. So Jesus is almost like he's going out of his way to say like the kingdom of God is basically about as insignificant as you can imagine, right? Which is, you're like, Jesus, what are you doing here? Like get, get, sell us on this thing, you know? But it's like a tiny seed thrown in the ground. As like a little bonus here, I think, um, I don't know if you guys uh, follow stuff, but like Every, every now and then, like, the, the um, disproving the Bible kind of people come out, and they're like, okay, Jesus said that the mustard seed is the smallest seed in the world, but actually it's, uh, and they'll kind of, like, mansplain the, um, that there are smaller seeds out there and whatever, and I, I would just say to that, like, who cares? Jesus, Jesus is making a point that, that actually there were proverbs at this time in, in the literature of using the mustard seed as an example of a, a very tiny kind of a thing. I think that's all Jesus is doing. It's like, it's just this tiny little seed. It's the smallest little seed you've ever seen. And you put it in the ground and it grows into something big. Jesus is using this point of a thing that seems so insignificant and so valueless and so tiny. And then he makes it grow up into something that's big. Now, if you Google, Google uh, what a mustard plant looks like when it's fully grown, like I did this week, you might be super underwhelmed, like I was this week, okay? I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I've seen a mustard plant, you know, and I'm picturing like oak tree size. Well, there was one that was like a little taller than a person, okay? So I was like, oh, like that's not that cool. But Jesus, uh, but Jesus is showing, okay, if it starts small, that's significant, that's big growth. And Jesus is actually even stretching it a little bit here because he is um, tying it to this picture of branches that come out, which is true, and that, that birds can nest in, which is true. Um, but he's, he's using that imagery of branches and shade and birds nesting, I think intentionally to call up imagery from the Old Testament. So in Ezekiel 17 and Daniel 4, there's these pictures of um, 
of a, a cedar tree. Israel is like this tree that's been planted and it grows up and its branches spread out and the birds come and they nest in its shade. And so it's, it's this um, common Old Testament imagery about how Israel is going to grow and become big and become a blessing to uh, the birds, like the other nations kind of coming in and being blessed by what God's doing through Israel. That's the picture. So Jesus uses a picture that's even more humble than that, of just a little, a little seed that gets put in the ground, and it grows in this big thing, and birds can even come and nest in its shade. I think he's giving us this picture of the kingdom growing up and being this place that's a blessing to the people around it. He's describing the kingdom in those terms to invite us to make sure that we don't look down on small beginnings of things. And if we think of like, think of your faith right now, maybe you, maybe it started really small. Maybe you're even in that spot right now where you're like, you know what, I don't have much, but I have this little seed where I'm like, I, I don't know a ton about it or I've doubted so much, I've deconstructed so much that all I'm left with is this little bit here. But I think Jesus is inviting us to see that little bit is enormous, right? It has all the potential in the world because um, it, it grows into this bigger thing. So don't look down on what's small. God doesn't require big things in order to do big things. God takes the smallest things, the most insignificant things, even things that are buried in the ground. He makes big things out of them. It's just how God works. Uh, over the last couple of years, uh, since COVID, we started having Chelsea do these reflective moments. And so if you've been around for a bit, you've had these times where we just, uh, after the sermon, we'll just say, hey, let's just be quiet for a little bit. And she gives us some prayer prompts and some things to think about. And we just sit here in silence. And I, I picture like, you know, someone's walking into church late that day for sure, like pretty late. Um, but you're walking in, and it's like, oh my gosh, there's all these people sitting here. They're just like sitting quietly. Like, What's going on here? And I think of like, what what could we offer to the Lord to say, Lord, would you work through this? You know, so I think of our songs that we work hard to get like sounding great. Um, we get these, like this sermon that I spend a lot of time like preparing this kind of a thing. Lord, take this and use it. But like what's weaker or less significant that we could offer to the Lord to work with than silence? Like, Lord, what if we did nothing for like, you know, 60, 90 seconds, you know? And yet many of us, like in this room, know what it is. I've had so many of you tell me, like, it's in those quiet moments where we're literally doing nothing that the Lord's done some of the best work in my heart, where he's opening us and speaking to us and just affirming his love for us. Like, that's been some of the weakest, quietest moments and also some of the most powerful. It's, it's consistently how God works. Taking a time like this where, where we're just... We're opening up the word of God. We're reading it. I'm talking about it. You're listening. We sing some songs. Like, what could be weaker than that? Like, that, what could be a, a bigger waste of our time than this? And yet, this is the kind of time that God uses all the time to just say, hey, I'm going to speak to you now. I'm going to remind you of this now. I'm going to carry you on, give you more um, energy to keep moving. And week by week, day by day, as we open the word of God, um, we're being deepened. We're being strengthened. We're being healed. We're being empowered. It's a beautiful thing. So, we don't. Jesus is inviting us not to stress out when things seem small. Don't stress out when it seems like nothing's happening. That might be for your own self. It might be for your kids that you're looking at and saying, I just don't know if they believe. It feels like they've walked away. Your, your friends, your neighbors that you're praying for, your spouse that you're praying for and saying, God, would you work? And you're just not seeing anything much there. And it's so discouraging. But Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom starts small and it grows. Spiritual life starts small and it grows. And I think he invites us to have this progressive expectation about what God is going to do. The kingdom doesn't come instantly. It grows um, in our society and definitely in our own hearts. So Jesus' final words here. He just kind of closes off. Actually, it's, it's Mark's words speaking about Jesus. It says that with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. 
So Mark sort of sums it up, like Jesus kept speaking to them, and man, he, everything was in parables. He kept t- talking to them that way. I'll tell you, I think I'm a typical evangelical in that I think I would rather uh, tell people the meaning of the parables than give people the parables themselves. Does that make sense? Like I'd rather be like, okay, well, the point of that parable is this, so just take the point and go, right? But Jesus was giving it to them in parables, I think because he wanted them to slow down, and he wanted them to contemplate, and he wanted them to reflect, and he wanted those who were ready to hear to be able to hear, and those that weren't ready to hear to just move on. But he gave them to, the, to them in these reflective ways. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we ready to hear? I think there's a reminder here at the beginning that the kingdom of God is a light that's meant to be seen. And yes, it's kind of covered right now, but that light is meant to be seen. And so keep watching, keep waiting, keep praying, keep working. That light's going to be revealed. Everything that's hidden is going to be eventually made known. And I think there's this reminder. He, he works mysteriously. He works quietly. He works when we're not looking uh, or paying attention. But man, the invitation is there for us to pay attention and to watch and to invest ourselves and to pour ourselves into this to see, okay, Lord, there are big things that you're wanting to do and we just want to offer our hearts and our families and our church family as a place of saying, God, work in this group, in our hearts. Lord, would you do it? And man, we're going to see so many cool things about Jesus as we go week to week. So let's, um, let's kind of pause. The band's going to come up. We're going to uh, sing a couple more songs. I want to invite you as we, as we sing um, to kind of just use that time and, and I would say offer to the Lord that seed that's planted that's, that's growing when you're not watching. Offer to the Lord the mustard seed of your own faith, of your kid's faith, of your spouse's faith, of the society, whatever it is, like whatever spot you think of when you think of, I don't think there's much kingdom stuff happening in that space. Um, I'd encourage us to just offer that to the Lord, whether it's your own heart or somebody else's or what's happening around us. Um, but let's, let's offer that to the Lord and trust that he can do a big thing with it. So let me pray for us. Lord, I am so thankful for a time like this to be able to open your word and trust that you're going to speak to us. Lord, you are so good to continue to speak to us when we get apathetic, when we get hard-hearted, when we get distracted when we get uh, tangled up in in these desires that we know are crushing us and killing us. Lord, you're speaking to us even when we are crushed by the circumstances of life and things are too heavy and too difficult. We say, I don't even know how I can get through this and still um, have any spiritual life left in me. But I believe that in those times you are speaking to us. And I think, Lord, that's literally what you're saying to us. So God, I just pray the truth of these parables over us. Lord, that we would just watch for the growth that you're bringing that we're unaware of. Lord, I pray for these little seeds of faith that are uh, planted by you in our hearts, that we get to plant in the hearts of each other. Take these seeds and grow them into big things. Lord, I believe that that's exactly what you want for us. And so, Lord, I ask, Lord, I think of my brothers and sisters here in this room with me right now. And Lord, there are, there are impossible things. Lord, there's there's, there's an apathy that is so deep-set. There's a, um, a wrestle with sin that's so deep-seated, deeply rooted in us that it seems like we'll never dislodge it. Lord, would you break up that ground and would you move? Lord, there's life situations that are so hard, so even almost unmentionable that we don't know where to go. And yet, Lord, you're working mysteriously, deeply. Would you 
in your deep, beautiful ways, would you reach into the deepest parts of us and begin to bring that growth? Lord, even if we're not aware of it today, would we, would we become aware of it later on? Would we have faith that you're working? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, I pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.